0: In the past, you know, we're, we're going on 10 years, but we've raised um, almost $20 million since then. And we've funded over 52,000 procedures uh, for young women in our country. We've launched a program in Australia because my first mistake was I raised money before I knew what I was going to do. And so I wish if I could turn back the time, I would have had my plan mapped out. I would have had it all done to say, if I raise this much money, I, I th- this is how many people I can help. This is what I would do. So unfortunately it took me a year and a half to even spend any money to help people because I didn't have a plan. And meanwhile, I did another year raise $600,000. It takes you, it took me too long to help somebody. So figure out how you would help somebody or change something, figure out what that's gonna cost and then ask for money.
1: So Zee, delighted to have you on the show. I've, we've been working together in some capacity for the past couple of years and I've long admired what you do. Um, and to talk about what you do, we have to tell the story of how you got there as well. So let's start with who you are, what you're up to and what you're doing. And then we'll talk about everything that's got you to this point.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited. I was uh, just humbled that you reached out to me. Um, didn't have much going on because I'm in quarantine right now, so I was <laughs> like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you an hour of my time.
1: Wait, so if you had stuff going on, you wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> What's
0: going on? I was, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. No. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <awesome. laughs> um, uh, no, you know what? This has all made us realize the things that matter. You know, and so. <laughs>
1: appreciate it
0: <laughs> um well i'm Ziana hansen also known as z i'm the founder and the chief mission officer of barbells for boobs uh, an organization where we strive to redefine the standard of care and breast health and improve the quality of life post diagnosis of breast cancer so, and uh, we're celebrating 10 years of service in april next month so
1: so one of the things that i love about what you do and the company is, is with it being 10 years in, in existence, has been 10 years of up and downs. And you, as a person, and you, you start in this company, I think that story is really cool. So, let's talk about that and why you started Barbara Boobs. So, in
0: 2009, I had, I, well, I found CrossFit in 2007. So, I'm hoping all of the listeners know what CrossFit is. If you don't, you have been living under a rock, just Google it or walk down the street and somebody's probably running around the corner from from an affiliate. Uh, So I found CrossFit in 2007, completely changed my life. I was inspired to, I lived in New Jersey at the time and I was kind of sick of running in the snow. So I was inspired to move back home to Southern California and start my own affiliate with my partner at the time. And so we did in 2009, we opened up a CrossFit, uh, next level CrossFit in Lake Forest, California, and just, just having the best time of my life. I mean, showing people, showing women how to get their first pull up, watching people get off their diabetic medicine, they're lowering people's cholesterol, doing all this really life-changing work um, with fitness, really just having people move and seeing how you were changing people's lives. Uh, Just a really, um, just a really fun time in my life. So I'm doing all this. And at that time, um, I was 29 and my best friend was diagnosed with breast cancer. So when I first heard of her diagnosis, I was like floored. I was taken back because I, I literally didn't think that breast cancer happened that young. She was 26. Um, and so I, I was mad at myself for being so naive in a way. Like I thought this happened when you're 40, like where did I, where did I miss this information? Where, why am I in such shock? Why am I on the floor? Like what? I was, I was in complete shock. So getting through that and trying to figure out how to support my friend, um, you know, she had to make a lot of decisions very quickly being 26 and being diagnosed with breast cancer that you're making decisions again, like that are going to impact you for the rest of your life. You know, if you want to have babies, you know you're going to start dating again. What kind of boobs do you? What do you want your boobs to look like? You're going to you know, you just started dating this guy. I'm happy to say they're still together. She just had a baby, and it's so awesome watching her breastfeed out of her one breast that she saved. So um, that's a blessing right now because I wanted her to take them both, and she had a lot more um, forecast of vision <laughs> with her life than I did. She was like, "I want to breastfeed eventually," and I'm like. Who cares about that? And <laughs> 10 years later to see her breastfeed with her boob that I was trying to tell her to take off. It is is kind of humbling right now. Um, and so I I didn't know how to help her and I wanted to help her and when I found out that when she originally went in with her lump on her breast, she was denied screening services which was 6 months prior, that is really what lit a fire under my my ass. I was like this is not okay. Our healthcare system failed you. They treated you like a statistic. And why did this happen? And so I got really passionate about that and I wanted to do something with my community. Um, and so we did a workout. We, we kind of were like, okay, let's do this workout called grace, which is 30 clean and jerks for time. And it was a workout I was really scared of. And I said, okay, if I, if Sessie can get through treatments and do all this, um, I can do this workout should take me what five minutes or something so i asked a bunch of my friends to gather around and do this workout uh we had about 60 people show up and we raised about four thousand dollars we went to a bar afterwards and one of my friends just said hey we just did barbells for boobs and i was like that's (laughs) amazing can i use it um which is where our name came from and i went to give her the money i went to tell her what we did and she was just like that's awesome, but I don't need the financial support. I have everything I need. And so, you know, can you help somebody else that's less fortunate than me? And so that's when I really started looking at what was happening with early detection, with screening, with young women. And I found a lot of problems and I felt a lot of gaps in our system um, where young women just were being very underserved and overlooked. And so I said, I want to, you know, kind of, I want this money. To support young women um, getting screened, so I went to a local so Susan G. Komen office and um, told them what I wanted to do. And that year, um, the every the the every single state in California has a breast and cervical government funded program. Um, the California one is called Every Woman Counts. That year, the Every Woman Counts program had cut had changed their eligibility requirements to be 50 and older instead of 40 and older. So. When I told them I wanted to help women under forty, they were kind of like, "Good luck." There's mm-hmm. a huge gap right now in in breast um, in breast care, and so I started a I used that four thousand to start our nonprofit and was really gun ho about making sure that young women could afford their screenings and. That next year, we raised $300,000 in the community. And then <laughs> I went back to Susan Jacoman and I was like, okay, I raised $300,000. What do I do now? And you know, the door's shut. They bring people in. They're like, what did you do? You raised $300,000. And so um, all I did was I shared Sessie's story. I went out and I told every single woman about it, mainly because it pissed me off. I was mad. I was angry about it. And I also was angry at myself because I didn't know. So if I didn't know, how many other women don't know that you can get breast cancer at a young age? And so it kind of became this advocacy campaign of awesome. Like, if you want to fundraise, cool. But did you know that breast cancer happens at 26? Like, this is crazy. Am yeah. I the one that didn't know? <laughs> and so, you know, we we ended up, you know, in the past you know we're we're going on ten years, but we've raised um almost twenty million dollars since then, and we've funded over fifty two thousand procedures uh for young women in our country. We've launched a program in Australia um, yeah and, and um we've made some changes in the last few years and um I guess I can go out so the evolution as uh, in twenty sixteen, my sister was then diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and it's crazy how you're on this path and you're fighting and you're advocating and you're, you're, you're consumed by this topic and this issue. And then it comes back in it. Like, I feel like the wound that it left in the beginning with Sessie was just this like, um, you know, kind of scratch on my arm of, okay, like that hurt, but I'm going to fight and I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. But my sister was diagnosed at age 43 with the metastatic. Uh, breast cancer. So it had already spread to her lungs and bones. And that diagnosis, it was like, it came back and it like punched me in the face to where I was just like, wow, I wasn't ready for that knockout. And I don't think I'm ready for this. And thank God that this wasn't the first like knock on my door with breast cancer. Think I'm so thankful that I knew so much and I was educated and I had so much information to take that diagnosis. And then be a uh, uh you know be there for my sister in a different capacity. So that definitely that 2016 was a, a really evolving year for Barbell boobs. There was a lot of things happening in the early detection side as far as like the uh insurance, the Affordable Care Act uh was being implemented in our country. So a lot of people were getting insurance, which kind of changed the way that we were able to fund people. Um and and breast cancer just kept like that. Uh, our community was growing within the CrossFit community. So a lot of survivors were coming into our community. We didn't have a lot of resources for them, but we were hearing crazy stuff. Like my doctor says, I can't pick up more than three pounds. My doctor says, I'll never do a push-up again. My doctor says this. And I'm like, are you, who, who is your doctor? Like, who are these doctors that are telling you this? Are they fitness professionals? Do they understand how your body works and how you can perform? And you know, like I, I may not understand everything that they're working on, but do they understand fitness? Do they understand what a barbell is? Um, and so I, I received a phone call or an intro, uh, an info at email in 2015. And it was the first one that came in that was like, Hey, I really want to be held accountable for my fitness. I can't, I, I gained weight since my diagnosis. I fundraise for you guys. Is there any way that you guys can help me and hold me accountable to getting strong again, or, you know, getting back in the gym? And I made a commitment to her. I said, I don't have anything for you right now, but I promise you I'm going to work on this because if I don't, then I am a complete hypocrite with the name Barbells for Boobs. If I can't teach you how to pick up a barbell again, I'm a loser. <laughs> so <laughs> I took that and just kind of ran with it. <laughs> I was like, we're doing this, guys. We're going to teach you how to pick up barbells again after breast cancer. And, and that was kind of the idea of it in the beginning. and. um we just kind of, we started a Facebook group. We started to bring women together and found that there was a lot of women that wanted to pick up barbells, that wanted to get strong, that wanted more information that is just not out there. Like there's nothing. um, I think that in the past four years, a lot more things have come out. There's a lot more um, at your fingertips, but not in the capacity of these women are athletes. You know, our community, they're athletes. They want to It's their medicine. A barbell to me is is my medicine, and so I always, when I started barbell shrubs, I saw the barbell as a vehicle to fundraise, and now we're using it as a vehicle to heal and get women stronger than ever. Um. So, you (laughs) have—that's what I do. (laughs) Story. You've Um,
1: made this so hard.
0: (laughs) Well, and so we've really taken a focus into really being that because I feel like barbell shrubs is that. You know, when you try to find like, what am I supposed to do? Like in breast cancer, there's so much you can do. There's so much deficient, like the screening deficit in our country is intense, but it was like, what can barbells for bibs do in breast cancer that, that no one else can really do the way that we do, which is for me, making sure a woman has access to a barbell and knows how to pick it up and her coach understands it. And we're, we're talking her through that she understands her nutrition. She understands, you know, how to get strong again. She understands how to have a positive mindset. Like we can do that. We have an army of coaches and an army of, of, um, professionals that will help a woman through this process. So, um, so on, um, April last, April 20, April 23rd, 2018, um, you know, my, um, my sister passed away in my arms and it was just like that. It was, uh, you know, you always, I think that what Barbell's for has done has been like, take your darkness and bring light. And like, no matter how dark a situation is or how messed up it is or how wrong you think it is, how do you make it right? And how do you grow from it? How do you bring some light to the situation? So I brought, we brought tons of light to Ceci's denial of screening. And now I'm bringing tons of light of, we can give you a really good life after treatment and after cancer, because we don't know how long you're going to be around, you know, and, and, and that's a real thing. And, and I feel that. And I get to dedicate my work every day to my sister now, and so it's a uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an incredible journey.
1: Is your sister younger or older than you?
0: She was older, yeah.
1: How how has that redefined your perspective on what you do personally and with the company?
0: Oh gosh, um, it changed. I mean, it changed everything for me. It uh, even from the the smallest thing of. I never really spoke in the support group cause I didn't feel like I had any right because I haven't never had breast cancer. Um, and so I, so now I, what I've learned is that when you go through cancer, what you going through is trauma, you know, your body, your mind, um, your family goes through this trauma and that's kind of what death is. Death is, you know, watching my sister die. That was the hardest part which just watching her die. Uh, watching cancer take over her body and completely just disappear. She disappeared on us. And so I feel a lot more confident when I'm in my work. Like I feel like I understand this so deep and I understand how much it's hurting somebody's body so deeply that um, don't ever tell me they can't do something. Like don't ever say that because I saw my sister do things that people told her she would never, ever do. and so I think that it made me understand it just from a confidence, you know, understand my work and really have confidence and say, I understand what you're going. I understand your struggles. I understand your fears because I had to live through it so like just by observing it, you know, and I, and I think that that's a that brought, brought confidence to my work. And it also really made me peel away all the crap. Like all the, when you run a nonprofit, you, there's some crap you deal with at the top and on the sides and on the bottom. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of fat, you know? <laughs> You're like, it helped me like be easily like just cut fat. Like, yep, I'm not dealing with this anymore. <laughs> this is irrelevant. <laughs>
1: um, well, I think there's a growing appreciation for it. It is the person who gets the diagnosis, it's a really challenging time for them. But there is so much. Um, stress and anxiety in the family and close circle around them and particularly for someone like you who is like get it done I can sort it out I can find a way through it to have been in a position where you have no control and you've got to watch a situation develop in front of your eyes where you you can't put the z magic on it and change anything and you've just got to sit back and and watch that that's got to be tough
0: yeah I think the toughest part that year so you know, that the year that my sister passed away, it, we had, I had just, we had just finished our education program. Like we were, we were now bringing this new resources after diagnosis piece to what we were doing. We were, we were launching brand new programs and I had just had my board annual board meeting. I was like at the, I was at the height of my lead, like of my career in a sense, or I don't know what you want to call it. My of my boobs years you know I was like I was at I was at my top you know and and I was pushing out I pushed out our biggest agenda you know we were launching brand new programs we launched a hotline like we did all this stuff we were trying to preserve our work in early detection as well as launch new programs and other initiatives trying to bring more athletes to get involved in what we were doing and in different sports and it was my biggest plan I'd ever produced and was approved by my board and three weeks later my sister died and it was just like you and I failed that year. I I failed. I fell on my face and failed um, because you you just don't know how that trauma is gonna impact you. And I was I was there, but I wasn't there. I was the leader, but I wasn't leading. I was it, it was just such a weird time. And you, um, I, I think I had a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because I was every day. Like there'd be times I couldn't spend time with her because of work. And so it was this constant like, okay, you're helping other women with their issues and breast cancer, but you can't be there for your sister's chemo treatment or you can't be there to go, you know, so there was a, there was a time that I wanted to just shut everything down and just be done and just say, this isn't worth it. Like I almost wasn't, I wasn't fully there for my sister because I'm there for everybody else. Um, you know, and that just took some time to be okay with and stop beating myself up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like stop being yourself. <laughs>
1: well, it takes a lot to own it as well. You know, being in a position that you would have been in as a leader of this company, and having this life event happen to where you feel like you can't get out of bed in the morning, but you still got to show up, and you got to show up, operating in a half capacity, and that's bound to affect the decisions you make and and your clarity with with the vision for the company and to be able to sit back and reflect on that two years later and own that or three years later now and own it, it speaks volumes of your character as well, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so funny. I was having a conversation with my husband last night, you know, because I think that right now everyone, anybody that runs a business or anybody that's that in any, I think in any industry, most industries, you don't know what the future looks like, you know? And so us sitting down last night in our, you know, just in our kitchen table, and just talking about the future of Barbell Shaboobs. and we started this year, Barbell Shaboobs started this year, the strongest we've been in seven years financially and like systematically and like technology, like everything is just so it's, we're in just such a great place right now. And it took, you know, it took a little bit of failing and a little bit of fighting, a little bit of, um, agony to get to that place. Um, and, and, and it took years of experience and years of, Years of doing that. And so, you know, I'm sitting down, I'm talking to my husband. I'm just like, really? Like, now? So, <laughs> what's going to happen now? And because all I do every day now is I talk to the Z to, from two years ago, like, why'd you do this? And why'd you, like, this was, <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny to have those conversations now because the decisions I made two years ago, I would have, some of those, I would have never. Now, who I am now, and the things I've been through now, I look back and I'm like, "Man, you are so stupid!" Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: like, but and my husband and I were just laughing. We're just like, "Man, it, it you just sometimes have to go through those things to learn the things. You have to get through the other side of those things as well." And that's, what's so beautiful about now we can sit back and be like, that was a really dumb mistake. (laughs)
1: Like we,
0: we, what were you thinking literally? And I'm like, I don't know. I I wish I could go talk to her and be like, no, don't do it. Don't, don't. Um, But I think that you have to do those things. And I was very, you know, I, again, I have this big vision. And so I was like, we can do it all. And, um, you know, now it's, it's do what you're capable of. And, and, and I think that that's what I've learned the most with, the loss of my sister is like, I'm, if, as you can tell by my title, I'm not the CEO of Barbell anymore. Um, that doesn't matter to me. What matters is the mission. And so that was really also a, a clarifying moment of, Hey, I don't care. Not that I don't care. That's wrong. I care about technology, the infrastructure, all the, like when you're the CEO, you have to like, it, there's a bunch of checks and balances and that's what was happening was I was overseeing 21 people. I was overseeing all these departments, all these initiatives, all these campaigns, and I wasn't in the mission. And I wasn't in the trenches working and, and understanding what the problems were and what women were facing. And, and that now I, I won't leave it. Now I'm just like, this is where I sit. Um, Don't ask me to do anything else. This is. And so now we have our board of directors is actually our CEO. So now there's like three people that actually run the organization and they're volunteer. So we have a volunteer CEO committee in a sense so that we have, we have, you know, things where I'm like, Hey, I don't make decisions. We run these types of decisions up the pipeline because I, I not, th- maybe there's like a thing of like, I don't trust myself to make those decisions anymore, but it's more of a, Hey, like we have to get triple checked on some things and that's okay. Um, Cause I wish I was getting triple checked, you know, the whole time it's just you know i had that you know i just was i had this vision it was like you can't <laughs> no <laughs> one could see it but they were like we believe you Z. i'm like oh, right <laughs> i'm going down a road nobody's
1: been so much of what you're saying is resonating with so many people first of all because people are listening wait you've you're a non and you've raised this much money and you're still in existence 10 years later first of all that's mind-blowing the and I, and I want to zero in on that because there's some really important points to take out of that. But what you're speaking about now of I'm no longer CEO is, is what we understand now as kind of natural evolution of like you're going from this idea of you as a person starting this initiative to now you're a company and you need to hire the right people to do the right job. But no one tells you that. No, there's no, and, and especially from, from your background, the, the hustle that you, it took you to get, you, you're not trained in nonprofit You trained yourself. There was no blueprint for Z and you're not watching anyone. And so you're going through all of this blind. And I think that is powerful in itself of like, just trying to figure out the space you exist in and how that works and like how you start to lead. And then you go from $4,000 to $300,000 to, and then it's all of a sudden like, holy shit, now I've got to be a CEO. Like all of those are real challenges.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always say that, um, I, 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 I always hated the title CEO because I was like, I, I just felt like, Oh, I, I just kind of started this. So I guess it makes me a CEO. So I always just called myself the CEO. Cause it's just my, I always called it it's Z's experienced opinion. Um, <laughs> <that's literally laughs> all I have is my experienced opinion. <laughs> um, cause I am, I mean, not to say that I'm not there, it's, it's such a nonprofits and the, people that find the founders of nonprofits it's such a it's such a it's such a weird position to be in because you're so passionate about it and you want to dictate and you want your voice to be heard in every capacity and so it it I think that what I've learned is you just have to make sure you have people that actually do listen to you but are patient and teach and like can practice that patience with you and teach you that patience because I want it all and I want it all right now. And even my health plan that I'm working on right now, my rad health plan that, that I think is going to change change cancer and like women are, like it's just going to change the world. <laughs> like I literally thought it was going to be rolled out by now, right? <laughs> like when I told my board about it and they're of like, course. Oh, that's nice. So this is about a five-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> Five years? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. this is great. but this is what we're going to do this year. We love all of this, you know? And so we're going to do this part, this tiny little part right here. This is what we're going to do first. And it's going to probably take us a year, you know? And I'm like, mm. oh, why is it going to take so, you know? And it's like, cause we want to do it right. And it is something that's going to be, that's going to change a lot of women's lives. And if we're going to change a lot of women's lives, we have to take our time and be patient. Mm. And so now I at least have people on my team that, not to say that I had yes people, but people were just as excited as me and wanted the results and the, 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 the outcomes just, just fast, you know? We, and I think that when you run a nonprofit, your donors want that as well. Like, I gave you money, so when is this thing going to happen? Or, you know, like, how many women have you served yet? And I'm like, whoa, like, to actually help people, it takes time and patience. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's, mm. you know, that's where we're at. Just slow it down.
1: I want to talk a lot about the, the resources moving forward, but let's talk a little bit about um, the process of, of having a nonprofit and how, particularly in those early years where you're trying to find your space, hustle for money and the ups and downs that comes with that. And I think, it, you know, from talking to you, you've learned a lot through that process and that story is really valuable.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, I, I should, I, I should write a book on it. I keep, I may, I may write a book on it. Um, yeah because there is no blueprint. You know, there is no way to tell somebody how to take their passion, raise money, build dynamic programs and prove the impact. And um you take on again that first year when I raised the $300,000, I didn't know what to do with it.
1: So
0: it was <laughs> all this money, but I didn't know actually how to make it work. Um and so learning how to help people and learning the red tape behind that and um really saying like, how can I help somebody? How can I show the impact? And then how can I make it scalable is again, I kind of became a researcher in a sense to figure out what people want to see from outcomes. And in order to keep them invested in our work, I was very passionate about um, like evidence-based fundraising. Like, Hey, if you raise, if we raise this much, we can support this many mammograms or this many biopsies. And so I became very uh, impact driven, and I think that our community and CrossFit—I mean, largely our community is CrossFit—they were also very result driven. So I knew that about my my community. So I was like, okay, if people continue to torture themselves to improve their times on Fran, and they'll do Fran. <laughs> if you Don't know what Fran is? It's a CrossFit workout. It's horrible, but people will continue to do that so they can like increase their time by a minute or a second, right? And so they're very result driven. So Our work, I knew how to be result driven to keep our community engaged and wanting to participate in what we are doing. So um, I really just, a lot of it was just intuition and doing the right thing, what felt right. And, you know, sometimes when you do the right thing, it's, you find out it's the wrong thing or you did it the wrong way or, um, but I just stuck, stuck to treat people well. um, You know, just always show up, do the right thing, do what you say you're going to do. And make sure that people understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so we've kind of just stayed really consistent with that, with that method. And, and I think that we've really broke through the peer to peer fundraising, but I want to give the credit to the CrossFit community because I think it's such a special, um, for us, it was almost like a perfect storm. Like I went, I was very involved in the community. I shared a very intimate story that resonated with people and made people just as angry because they didn't think it was right or fair. Um, And that's what really grew what we were doing. And at the same time, CrossFit was signing a 10-year deal with Reebok and they asked if they would give Barbell Shrewoops t-shirts. And also having a name like Barbell Shrewoops kind of helps because people want the shirt. So, you know, so then you're kind of, then you, then we went through this whole, like, are we an apparel company or are we a charity? You know, because then people were just like, I want a shirt, I want a shirt, I want a shirt. (laughs) I'm like, Then that's really what it came to was everybody wanted our shirt and I wanted everybody to understand what that shirt meant. And that's where the impact was like, oh no, you have to earn the shirt. This is how you can earn the shirt because you're supporting a woman's life basically. So, but yeah, I mean, if, if I, if you are starting a nonprofit or if you have any interest in it, the one thing that's, I think a lot of things that you're working on in, in, in this field of fitness, cancer, exercise, that's just, you're building your own Map and your own road. Um, I don't think that we do a lot of work teaching people the nonprofit space. So if you think about it, I think that we can go through all through high school. We can even get through college. I think that right now you can only get your master's degree in nonprofit management, and so there's not a lot of opportunity for you to learn if you if the, if it's even something you're interested in and uh, in a field to go into. And so not until you get into a master's degree program. Um, but i think that all we're taught is oh a good charity is 80 it's a pie and they have to spend 80% on programs and that's a bunch of bs and that's not what charity is and and you know i i i remember two running Barbell's reviews for 2 years calling my cpa and i was like how do i make this pie that everyone keeps talking about <laughs> <laughs> the pie with percentages how do i do this you know
1: <laughs> so a, a lot of people cuz you kind of what I admire the most about you is that you forged your way in this and it went from an idea and a passion to the company that so many people starting out in this space want to get to. And in terms of hindsight is an incredible tool. (laughs) What are some of the things that you're like, okay, if you're going to be a part of my philosophy of what a nonprofit should look like, how do I start and how do I go get money? Who do I get it from? What do I do?
0: Um, My first piece of advice is what is the problem that you see and how are you going to fix it? What is the problem? How are you going to fix it? And is anybody else doing it? So that way you can say, if uh, number one, if I see a problem is the way that I want to fix it efficient. And, and then once you say, this is how I'm going to fix it. And nobody else is doing it because if there's other people doing it, call them. <laughs> um, and if nobody's doing it, then you can say, okay, I'm going to do this. That way, then you can say, how much is it going to cost for me to do this? So if I did, again, because my first mistake was I raised money before I knew what I was going to do. And so I wish if I could turn back the time, I would have had my plan mapped out. I would have had it all done to say, if I raise this much money, I, I, th- this is how many people I can help. This is what I would do. So unfortunately, it took me a year and a half to even spend any money to help people because I didn't have a plan. And meanwhile, I did another year raise $600,000. I don't know how I did it. I like literally people's, I had no impact at that point. they were just like, I want a shirt. I was like, thank God for Barbara for because it takes you, it took me too long to help somebody. So figure out how you would help somebody or change something, figure out what that's going to cost and then ask for money. Then you can say, hey, if you give me money, it's kind of like writing a grant. It's the same kind of process of you've got to show me what you're going to do before I give you money. Um, And a lot of people just get passionate about something. They see a problem, a social problem, get super passionate. They start telling everybody about it and start raising money with no plan. So for me, plan first, figure out your impact, figure out your outcomes, figuring out what you want to change. So then it's easy to talk to donors about it
1: that's so wh-
0: that's how I should have done it <laughs> <laughs> how would you pay for somebody's mammogram because I literally went and paid for somebody's mammogram thinking that's something you can do,
1: <laughs> which is not something
0: you can do <laughs> I was like nine months pregnant and I walked into a clinic and I like they, they wouldn't screen her and I'm like um I'll just come and meet you like it's 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 a really complicated process to to do the work we do in the early detection side and so I I Decided one day to make it not complicated and just help somebody, and I could have gotten a lot of trouble.
1: (laughs) Well, what are these donors when when you approach donors? What are they looking for in return, or or what's what's the outcome that they want?
0: You know, for our for our donors at Barbelster Boobs, I think that we've really done a really good job in just creating our own community, and so they are just really interested in and what we're doing. And so keeping them engaged with, like making them feel a part of something, you know, people want to be a part of something. And so we always try to make sure that however we're talking about our programs or whatever we're doing, we're connecting it to something that they understand that's tangible and that they can wear and represent and then easily communicate it back to their audience um, and to their people that they're asking to support barbell for as well. So we have gyms now that have supported us for 10 years. So they're like, it's almost like just a family now. It's like, they'll be like, hey, Z, our, our event's going to be on this day. Can, you know, like, it's just like this, like, it's turned into this tradition where this is just what they do. This is how they recognize breast cancer. Their community can't wait. They, they're, they're like, Barbell's Tributes is our favorite event. And it's still that staple event from what I put on in 2009 of just getting people together and, and doing grace. And that's literally what people are still doing. And it's just become a a tradition, I think. And we've built such great, I would honestly say out of, out of all of our people that fundraise for us and donate to us, like at least like probably at one out of every three have met somebody from Barbell's groups, whether it's a board member, a volunteer, like there's some connection or they, I've dropped in their gym. Like we've done so much um, outreach and making sure that our donors knew who we were and shook our hands and have our phone numbers and can ask us any questions and you know I, or I can be honest with them and be like hey I'm starting new programs do you guys think this is good like I remember launching the rad program I went to like 10 of our top gyms and was like hey are you guys okay if I do this because you guys are, are you, you guys fund this so is are you guys cool with me giving fitness to women after breast cancer like is this something you're interested in and they're like that's awesome you know like <laughs>
1: <Yes,
0: laughs> do it and i'm like good I just I needed your permission first
1: (laughs) so a lot of your um support is coming from kind of the 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 more group-based fundraising in these events rather than individual donors
0: yeah our average donation is like 50 um and it's usually communities come together once a year and they do their Barbell for event they create their fundraising page they earn their reward shirt and it's just again it's just become this like tradition that they do in october um for breast cancer awareness month we have some that do it on different dates because they're celebrating you know when they lost their mom or when they opened up their gym um but i would say 96 percent of our fundraising comes in october november
1: so it's insane like talk about the power of community in i'll go and approach one rich person for x hundred thousand dollars or your average is fifty dollars and you're raising that level of money that's insane yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's a lot of like what you don't, what you don't see, like the, the good thing about it is I can lose a donor and it doesn't impact our work. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot of charities that run off these big grants or big donors where they lose a donor, they lose a grant and they have to make big cuts where I'm very thankful. I don't have that, but keeping up with a bunch of people that donate $50 is a lot of work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's, um, Let's dedicate some time to, to the big vision moving forward. So you've yes. got some big ideas and they're really, really cool ideas. So let's talk about this rad um, health program going forward.
0: Yes. So what I've learned in, um, you know, we, when we started, when I started talking about resources after diagnosis and I started communicating with our women that have been impacted by breast cancer in our community. Um, we, we kind of launched a few different things, right? We kind of were just like throwing things at the wall and trying to figure out what was going to work and what didn't work and what they wanted, what they didn't want, what's available, what's not available. Because the only thing that we saw on our side was this consistent thing of, oh, my doctor is telling me to, that CrossFit's dangerous or to, again, not pick up weight. So I was like, okay, well, what are you, what's the real problem? Like, what are what do, if I was going to implement a program again, what's the program? (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I started putting on tests. So we did a collective. I called it a collective. We gathered some survivors. This was in twenty seventeen. We gathered a bunch of survivors together, probably like a dozen. And we were like, "Hey, if we put on, if we put a, together a program, what would you guys want?" Um, we spent a weekend with them. It was awesome. Then um, we built out the education uh, library with you. And so we put that together. And we were like, "Okay, well, it, it, well." At the same time, CrossFit Foundation had given us a. a Grant to fund uh, CrossFit affiliate fees for survivors. So I was like, "Well, I'm not going to send a survivor to a gym that maybe doesn't know what they're doing." And I know that CrossFit coaches—they're sponges; they want to learn. So I feel it's our responsibility to give them that information and that that resource. So, so we had this scholarship program, but I wanted to back it with some education and resources for coaches um, in case they needed that. And so that's really where the idea of the library came from. And then the collective women just loved it, and they were like, "Can we do this again?" I was like, "Sure, let's do another collective." So we've done three collectives now. We do one a year, and it has to embody physical activity, nutrition, and you know, some positive mental experience. And so we kind of like literally, again, for the last two three years, we've just been throwing things at the wall, figuring out how we were going to transition and really do something resources for resources after diagnosis. And then, um, and then I realized. That if we don't have some way, this is what I realized after, after talking and interviewing so many survivors and working with so many women, I've realized that when you get diagnosed with cancer, any cancer, you get an entire team assigned to you, you in breast cancer, you get your radiologist, your oncologist, your plastic surgeon, your navigator nurse, you get this entire team everybody comes out the woods to help you and support you and do a meal train. And, you know, you lose your hair. Everybody in the world sees that you're going through cancer. You're in treatment. And then you get to ring this bell afterwards. Ding, ding, ding. Last cancer treatment. Right. And it's been this long journey of a year or, you know, sometimes 16 months and then you're done. And then they just release you into the world and they're like, this is your new normal. Go you're, you've survived, kind of like go live your life now. And what I've learned is, there it's such a hard transition um, because I truly believe that once you have any cancer, you're going breast cancer. You're going to have breast cancer for the rest of your life. You're going to have the trauma of the scars, the trauma of the side effects, the trauma of the drugs. Like everything, there's a constant triggers. There's constant reminders. Um, your hormones are changed. You might be on a, on an oral drug, so you're going to have it for forever. And I don't think that our medical system does, our healthcare system does a good job in saying, what do you need after cancer there, which is great. They have a great way and process to like get you through treatment and save your life. And so I was like, we really need to build a new team that the, almost like the medical team hands you off to, to say, this is your rad health team. <laughs> and they're going to teach you how to be healthy after breast cancer. And includes, sorry, that includes number one, your nutrition, because I feel like that's the fundamental foundation to our health is what you put in your mouth is a direct outcome of your health. And then next is, okay, once we dial that in, then it's physical activity. Let's get you moving and moving in this new body. That's probably gained weight, has scars, has limited range of motion. You're not going to be able to do what you used to do. And then once we get you kind of there, then it's like, let's start working on your mindset and your the trauma and the mental stuff. And so now my goal is, is that I'll build an entire new team that works together for a woman. So that dietitian, that coach, that psychologist, um, whoever we end up assigning to who need that we specifically think you need support with, um, they'll start now collaborating as your new team. So that's the goal.
1: <laughs> you can't have small goals i think it's sort of about your makeup
0: <laughs> I mean, what, is it like okay talking to your audience if i had breast cancer if i had any cancer about any disease and then I, I would want some like i would want to know how to live life after it hmm. like i get it we want to we want to deal with it and we want to save your life and preserve your life but I like there's Again, I think in our, in our healthcare system, there's just no proactive living programs. Like, how do you proactively not want to kill, you, like, not want to commit suicide? Mm. And suicidal rates are a real thing in cancer survivorship. Like, how do we get them thinking positive? Like, I have women that are just like, I don't know how to be a mom. I'm I suck as a mom. I I, I can't cook. I can't move my right arm. I can't. And I know what a barbell has done for me as I sit right in front of one. I know that it saved my life and I know that it builds my, it built my confidence. It made me like not doubt myself. It made me try things I'd never tried. And so it's like, how do we support them through that process and say, you are a great mom and you are a great teacher and you are a great wife and you are, you're just, you know what, here's one thing I've learned from doing the podcast um We do a podcast as well it 's called behind the brawl um, so on all the channels, check it out. Um, we interview breast cancer survivors and we ask we ask them to share their story of their their entire you know breast cancer story so one thing that i've learned is they all one hundred percent of them are better after breast cancer. when you ask them what they 've learned what breast cancer has taught them, it is always like i 'm better i have a better life. I, you know, I'm more connected with my husband. I'm more connected with my family or I divorced my husband. I got free of my bullshit. You know, like I could make decisions in my life. I saw clearly. And so, and that's what I think that fitness does. It makes you better. I think that fitness and eating right and being healthy and being active just makes you a better person. And so how do we help them become better. Because I always tell women that, that tell me like, I just want to get my back squat back to where it was. And I'm like, why are you setting your standards so low? You want your, you want your back squat before breast cancer? No, you're going to have a better one after breast cancer because you're, you are mentally stronger after breast cancer. So what your body can do because your mind's stronger is going to blow your mind. So.
1: You are really, (laughs) you are really deliberate. Um, and careful with the language you use in, in the people that you work with. And since we met, it's always they're my athletes or they're our athletes. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of us can fall into when we think about cancer, we think about the sickest, oldest, frailest, worst case scenario. And I think what I resonate with what your philosophy is, is like, let's let's let them decide that we don't get to put this label on them of you're sick and weak now and your idea of empowerment using a barbell that would probably be intimidating to a lot of people who haven't done it before, I think is such a cool initiative to, to frame it in a way where it's not this kind of depressing, oh, what was me kind of thing. There's empathy involved, absolutely. But let's give you this outlet and the empowerment through the movement and activity. Well,
0: I think it's, it's a, again, it's a, it's a confidence builder. If you can pick up a barbell, Every day, and 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 we actually did a survey on the women that are a part of our program. We have over we have like 119 women in our program, and um, 79% of them say they pick up a barbell at least three times a week. That's cool. That's crazy. Like survivors, like women that have gone through breast cancer, and their doctors tell them not to pick up barbells or not to pick up weights, and our women are doing that and um, consistently, consistently doing it. So it's just a I, I and I. And I say that it's only a hundred women because there's three point eight million breast cancer survivors in our in our country. you know so it's like <laughs> the, the 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 opportunity is massive <laughs> to get barbells in women's hands or you know, get them to talk to a dietitian that's also an athlete and um and you know, we've built a medical advisory board that I've shared with you that I'm hoping that we <laughs> come sit at that table um that that are one of the requirements for the medical advisory board for me was. Um, that they were athletes and that they actually have run their own programs or their own companies. Um, because if I think of my like, I don't want to have a doctor on my medical advisory board that's ob which you've seen this in the healthcare system, that don't work out, don't eat well, they're they just work all the time. There's no balance in their life, there's no actual quality of life. Um, so everybody that's on my medical advisory board is an athlete and they work out every day or they 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 watch what they eat or, you know, they're very conscious about their health. And so that was really important to me. And then also that they ran their own business or ran their own programs. So they understood that what it took to lead, what it took to make really hard decisions, understand a budget, understand management, managing people. So that when they're making decisions that are going to dictate the future of our programs, it's coming from real life professionals that understand it from a medical perspective, as well as an operational perspective.
1: I think that's so important to have that those elements involved and you can tell there's a lot of strategy and talk going into it. Um, you talked about the the name for the program um, and the kind of reasons you're moving a little bit away from Barbells for Boobs and I think you kind of spoke earlier about the power in it in the CrossFit community in that it's such a cool name so everyone wants a t-shirt and on the flip side maybe some caution in going into the medical community in the name Barbell for Boobs Are like wait what boobs and what's going on Talk a little bit about that and how you've kind of reflected on on the name and and what your thoughts are there.
0: Yeah, I think that um, for so long, like when we first started funding early detection services, we called ourselves, we called our grant program Mammograms in Action because, uh, you know, when you speak to a hospital and, and you're providing funding for early detection, a lot of hospitals are like, well, won't even allow boobs in their, in their hospital or some schools that you know we have kids that fundraise for us. They can't wear our t-shirts or um, you know, some people that work for the government that fundraise for us can't even access our website because of the word boobs. So it so I started seeing this collective issue with us having the word boobs, but then also seeing this great issue because everybody wants to wear it. And so I kind of suppressed the name in the beginning and I was like mimicking it and I called it Mammograms and Action Grant Program. And and then I kind of Just told, I kind of just had an effort moment. And I was like, no, everyone needs to know that people pick up barbells for breast cancer. And this is what we do. And our grant program is called Barbells for Boobs. And if your hospital doesn't want to take our money, it's totally fine. You don't have to take our money. So I kind of like put my foot down on using Barbells for Boobs. And so now going into this, it was more, I had to not be so egotistical about it and start really saying, how do I get more women into? like knowing that this is even available. Like if you're in CrossFit, you know it's because you probably did a barbell Tribute Fundraiser, but how do I talk to somebody that doesn't know CrossFit that wants to be healthy? Because guaranteed you get a cancer diagnosis, The when you get out of it, the first thing you say is, I need to take better care of myself. I need to start working out. I need to start eating better. Like that's a, that's a very common reaction to getting a cancer diagnosis. And so how can I go to an oncologist now and them take me serious that the services i'm going to provide to their patients once they're done with treatment are real and there's some credibility to it and so you know we, we use rad for resources after diagnosis but i was like this is really a health plan it's it is a health plan and it's our health plan and we self-fund it and um so that's where kind of it's the rad health plan
1: so are you still uh, offering the the early detection stuff
0: we, um, so we are not funding early detection anymore. So that was a big decision. Unfortunately, uh, funding for early detection is really, really expensive. And uh, again, there was a lot of problems in our health and in, in the initiative for the Affordable Health Care Act, where now we're mandated here to have health insurance. So if you have health insurance, you kind of have different problems when it comes to screening. Now you have deductibles and you can't for- afford your deductible. So we were acting as an insurer on the back end for clinics and hospitals. Well, now if they have, they're they billing another an insurance, they can't double dip and bill us as, as well. And so, and also, and then we can't fund an individual. So what we do now is we are, we do a referral. So we do a national uh, early detection referral. And what that basically is, is you can still contact us to get screening. Um, and a lot of people just don't know where to go and we do. And so, for example last last week, we had somebody that was like, "I have health insurance, and I went to my doctor, waited there for two hours. I never saw my doctor. I have a lump on my breast. um you know, my insurance runs out at the end of the month, and I know the one two three steps we know the one, two, three steps to do it and uh we got her a breast exam the next day for free so we we just have a large network of referrals, and we have a lot of contacts now that we don't necessarily need to fund it. There's a lot of funding pr- funded programs, just people don't know where to go and how to find those funded programs. And so uh, we still act as a national uh, referral program for early detection.
1: So how can people find your national <laughs> referral program? Where can people get in touch with you? We need to shut up because we're going to keep going <laughs> otherwise.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, if you go to barbells for boobs um, right now, we're re re-vamping our get screen. So, um, if you go to Programs at Barbelstra Boobs um, on one of on our Hope tab, it says Programs, and you click Apply Today, that's where you can get the resources after di- diagnosis and get into that program. Um, but honestly, we have a chat there. If you need a screening, just go to our chat and say I need a screening, and we'll take care of you immediately. To me, that's urgent. We are looking at monitoring those chats 24 hours a day. So, yes, yeah, if you have a breast problem, uh, we'll we'll handle that immediately.
1: I, I can't congratulate you enough on the 10 years of success and, and everything is going to come up. And thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm really excited to see what comes in the future for you.
0: I'm excited for you to get on this side of the water. <laughs> 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 so then you can be a part of our what we're working on. And, um, I plan I, to. I, I, I'm so incredibly grateful. I know that our Hats crossed for a reason, and to see us in our silos doing the same work and uh, the synergy. Um, you know, I, I think that there's some great things that are going to come out of on both of our adventures here.